I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guests today are Bonnie Rambatan and Jacob Johansson. They're here to discuss their new book, Event Horizon, Sexuality, Politics, Online Culture, and the Limits of Capitalism. Bonnie Rambatan is an independent scholar and researcher based in Jakarta, Indonesia, as well as a writer and artist for various comics, novels, films, installations, and other media. They co-founded and currently run a comic book company, Now Boon, focusing on making progressive thoughts available to young readers. They started and edited the anthology Cyborg Subjects, Discourses on Digital Culture with Jacob Johansson on Create Space in 2013. Their research interests include Lacanian psychoanalysis, media studies, literary and art criticism, Japanese studies, philosophy, and critical theory. For research and artistic projects, their affiliations include the Japan Foundation, the Vienna-based art technology philosophy group Monochrome, as well as various art and literary institutions in Indonesia. You can follow them on Twitter at BonnibelR, that's B-O-N-N-I-B-E-L underscore R at Twitter. Jacob Johansson is Senior Lecturer in Communications at St. Mary's University in London. He is the author of Psychoanalysis and Digital Culture, Audiences, Social Media, and Big Data from Rutledge 2019, as well as his brand new book, Fantasy, Online Misogyny, and the Manosphere, also from Rutledge 2021. His research interests include psychoanalysis and digital media, sexuality, affect theories, psychosocial studies, and critical theory. He is the co-editor of the Counterspace section at the journal Psychoanalysis, Culture, and Society. He sits on the executive committee of the Association for Psychosocial Studies and is a founding scholar of the British Psychoanalytic Council. You can follow him at Twitter at Jacob PhD. That's at J A C O B underscore PhD at Twitter. As with all Rendering Unconscious podcast episodes, there is a video accompanying this episode at YouTube. Just visit Trapart Films' YouTube channel, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube, or search for Rendering Unconscious podcast. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information.
You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Tripart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, tripart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. We could begin by how we um, how we got into psychoanalysis, maybe because actually that's something I don't really, I don't think I really know about you, uh, Bonnie. How you know how? That's yeah, true. It would be interesting to 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 hear about. I think. Okay, sure. Okay, so um, how how did I get into psychoanalysis? I guess it's um, I I took I majored in English literature um in college. Uh, at, at my university, and I just, um, I guess there, there, there are a lot of like critical theory. I, I got, um, I got introduced to critical theory and philosophy and, and all these things uh, through English literature, and I guess I just uh, really, really like uh, psychoanalysis. I really like uh, Lacan, especially. I, I think, um, I mean, obviously, I've, I've studied uh, Freud and Lacan before, but I think what really got me into, um, you know, utilizing psychoanalysis for. Uh, for critique was uh, Slavoj Žižek. Um, there were a lot of his a lot of his videos. There was uh, the documentary, and there was the Perverse Guide to Cinema, and all and all those things. Those uh, those media that came out as I was studying English literature, and I decided to um, pursue it further and read more about uh, psychoanalytic uh, theories. And I think um, who 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 was I, I think it was Madan Dolan, wasn't it? Who the one the one who utilized. Uh, uh, theories of the psychoanalytic voice, and I was using him for uh, using his, his works for um, analyzing my my thesis, like film studies and stuff like that, but not with the images, uh, but but with the audio. I I think that's yeah. I guess that's pretty much how I got into psychoanalysis, and I just kind of like uh, fell in love with it because I think there's a lot to be uh, pursued. There's a lot to be expanded upon as we enter the digital age, right? Because that was also. Um, uh, my my thing with psychoanalysis is that it, it does have a lot of uh, potential, especially as uh, being from English literature, which is pretty close to uh, English ling- linguistics and stuff. Um, there were a lot of new dynamics, new movements going on in the direction of what the digital realm, what the digital uh, culture can bring to us. And I thought, why not utilize psychoanalysis further to to yeah to pursue those. Yeah, absolutely. That's something Jacob and I have talked about before and I've, I've written about that like I feel like the digital realm really everyone can see the psychoanalytic theory kind of at play like there's so much things that maybe were, were not as obvious to people in the before times, but now it's like it's like so clear a lot of these concepts so I feel like it's a really ripe time for psychoanalysis. 
yeah yeah and i think i think that was when i yeah those were also the times when i started writing a blog my first blog um well it was like my third or something but my first blog that i actually you know uh became serious upon and that's how i met jacob um he was a reader of 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 some of my posts and he commented and we just got to know each other i think we emailed each other or something um yeah so that was how we started yeah so that, that blog must have must have been sort of uh yeah it must have been gaining some traction because i discovered it somehow <laughs> yeah so, it, um, it did gain yeah. traction. It gave me a lot of connections you know yeah. uh, to various like conferences and stuff like that so yeah it was it was pretty cool yeah yeah and that was kind of that was when you know when blogging was still you know, what was still yeah. big. I mean, who blogs now? Nobody, right? So <laughs> it was like a different internet age then. And that was um, uh, that was kind of early, yeah, that was like 2005, 2006, yeah. something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, the yeah. blog was, a bit, I think it was 2007, 2008-ish, but okay. yeah, it was, it was during those, those era. The blog era, pre-social media era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that's so interesting because I I mean I, I always knew that you know you had a English literature you know as a, as a, as a background um, and my kind of my my background is is kind of more like media studies communication studies so so that's what I kind of studied or from 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 BA uh, onwards and I also kind of got into psychoanalysis I think at least at least to some extent also through uh Zizek and you know all these funny videos and his kind of cool lectures and so on but then um I'm also still kind of I'm still um wondering whether I would kind of call myself a Lacanian so even though you know what we've been kind of doing for for the past yeah, uh, years for the last few years now uh, is is very very kind of Lacanian. Um, but my, I'm also very interested in kind of sort of other other schools and psychoanalysis, and and I've been using Freud a lot and so on. But but Lacan is still is still very very fascinating to me. But I think uh, Bonnie's knowledge of of Lacan far surpasses mine. So so that that was a very a very fruitful. Um, uh, way of kind of kind of collaborating yeah I, I really don't think so but yeah thank you for for saying that um i don't know for me well i've been my focus has been lacan for for so many years now it's only uh, pretty recently that i started to try to move beyond lacan right um in our in our our book is heavily lacanian but at the end nearing the end there there was like uh, a certain push to go beyond lacan as it mm -hmm. were and i think uh I think that, that that was that was one of my one of my uh, one of my interests too, right? Because I really wanted want to know how far, like how much further that we can take this. Because obviously, with with digital media and with new theories of of language and uh, semiotics and stuff like that, um, there's a lot of um, updating. Not not exactly updating, but you you get what I mean, right? With with Lacanian theories, this I feel like there's a lot of push that we can, a lot of innovations that we can move forward with. Um, utilizing those theories, but also moving beyond Lacan. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's interesting, actually, because I think that's also, I think maybe especially in, in kind of Lacanian psychoanalysis, because it is so popular and, and it is it's quite dominant, I think, still in kind of applications or if there are people who, who use psychoanalysis to look at even kind of culture more broadly, not just kind of the digital, uh, Lacan is very, 
it's very um, popular. But then I think psychoanalysis often gets this kind of criticism that how it is applied, it's actually yes. very, it's very static actually, because people are not really, in, are not really inventing or pushing things more um, kind of further. And, and that also with Lacan, it's, you know, the same kind of, same concepts get, get used and, and, and sort of used time and time again. Um, and and I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I mean, because then we're undermining our own position here, but, but I think it's still an interesting, an interesting kind of critique that's, that's put to psychoanalysis that even as a kind of clinical um, kind of discipline, to what extent is it being sort of renewed or innovated? I don't know, um, which is interesting. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's just a side, that's just a side note. Uh, because yeah, then, like, we, uh, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have written a book that's so heavily heavily Lacanian if we didn't believe in you know in 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 the value of it uh, for for kind of thinking about the contemporary sort of digital moment that we're that we're in yeah yep, yeah definitely but it's great to think about it I mean he died forty years ago so it's great to think about it through his lens but then take it further I think mm. the digital realm is taking it further and like. Um, you know, with online treatment as well, you know, mm. I do that and it's like, you know, people that's not really been conceptualized because they, we didn't have a digital world when a lot of these writers were writing. So I think it is time for people to keep taking it further. And to me, it's so strange when people become dogmatic about psychoanalytic theory, because it's so, so opposed to being dogmatic. It's supposed to be about yeah. kind of freeing up yeah. the creative energy to invent new things and not to like lock them down. We, we have enough of that kind of categorization and locking people into place. We need to free up our drives and free up our energy to like invent new things. So it's really weird yeah. to me whenever people get dogmatic about theory. Mm. I think I, that's one of the, if not the most uh, exciting thing about Lacan for me, because um, he very clearly stated that psychoanalysis is not supposed to be like science, right? It's not yeah. supposed to be something fixed, but you know, a meaning is, is decided between like, in a, as, as a dialogue instead of something something dictated by the by the analyst and I think that's um, that needs to be applied to psychoanalysis as a discipline as a whole as well right because it's it should be liberating in a sense because that's that's the whole spirit of it so I think in in theory um, the, the theoretical discipline in, in and of itself has to be continuously reinventing itself so that's uh, that's why that's why I, I, I really like it mm -hmm. And then how did you two decide to write this book? I'll say the title again, Event Horizon, Sexuality, Politics, Online Culture, and the Limits of Capitalism. How did you two come together to write this? I think probably partly because of, you know, the sort of, the sort of history that we, that we share, you know, what we were talking about um, just earlier, that we, we met, uh, you know, at a time sort of online when the internet was slightly, you know, a slightly different place, I think, to, to what it is now. Um, and, and people were still blogging and I don't know, maybe there was, maybe the only so, kind of the sort of social media that were around at that time, this was something like MySpace, I think it was MySpace still, were people still using MySpace then? I can't, I can't remember, probably, I know. probably I was I using it at least. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And, and um, um, things were, I mean, the, the internet back then wasn't as kind of commodified. It wasn't as kind of dominated by, you know, capital, big tech wasn't really a term, you know, it, it, 
someone had used the term big tech then, nobody would have known what that meant. Um, and now we are kind of, uh, lots of good things have happened, I mean, as well on, online in, in, in the last couple of years, but, but it's certainly been, yeah, much more kind of commodified and polarized and, and sort of very angry also i think yeah. you know the internet is very angry it's a, yeah. very, it's a very angry place often it's a very it's a very bad place in a way and i think that motivated us as well to write something about trying to kind of understand what where we are um, at the moment how can lacanian a lacanian kind of take on on the contemporary internet and and how the internet overall i think is has been Kind of turning right wing. Um, how can we mm -hmm. analyze you know, those kind of dynamics, those developments from a psychoanalytic perspective? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, when we when we started working together, like that was um, yeah again two thousand seven two thousand and eight, um, we had so much optimism for mm. you know for potentials of the internet. Right, it was like the early days of the. Um, the Occupy movement has not even started yet, but then there was that, there was the Arab Spring, there was the whole, um, I think, Snowden whistleblowing at, at WikiLeaks. So there, there's a lot of a lot of hope that happened uh, on the internet, you know, people organizing, and then there was this whole big revolutions that are, you know, that seem to be happening, seem to be uh, changing, you know, across the world. And we were very optimistic about that. So. Yeah, in 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 my in my earlier writings in our earlier earlier collaborations, we were trying to pinpoint these uh, these locations of you know uh, possible new events, possible new revolutions, uh, made possible by the internet, right? But then we kind of uh, yeah things you know things things kind of happen, and then the zeitgeist of the of the digital space became warped. It it just it just changed. Like a lot of uh, pessimism came in, and things didn't go. Uh, the way they did, the, you know, the after the revolutions, there's a lot of uh, a lot of right wing movements came about and took power in in various in these regions, and then there was the whole um, yeah, just just became completely pessimistic. There's a lot more uh, a lot more doom in the world in in the zeitgeist in the in the minds of people utilizing the internet, and obviously there's a lot of uh, as Jacob has mentioned, a lot of right wing movements, a lot of New, new kinds of fascism and new kinds of like misogyny and transphobia and, and all those things. And we were kind of like, we were both, I guess, we were both like very um, intrigued, but also also um, annoyed is a very mild word, you know, something, something's mm. just, just right here. And we, we felt like we needed to write about this. We need to discover more, more about this and like, what is what is to be done here? What what is what is next? What what can theory do to actually help like analyze where how we got to this place and how it might be possible to to get out of it to to move forward from here? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because of course, I mean, it has become so such a corporate space and such a like yeah, big tech, big data space. Whereas, of course, when it started, there was all this optimism and hope that everybody could be like kind of equal on the internet and your website could be found just as easily as like a big brand's website, you know, for whatever you're doing and things like that. And it has like changed like the music industry, like people can put their own music and their own, their own art. And I feel like it's so refreshing to see like people have been able to express themselves so much more freely without having to go through these gatekeepers and you can find different artists and musicians and of any, every kind and any kind and 
that's so wonderful so how do we like keep harnessing like everyone being able to be themselves and be individuals and like have a voice against this kind of big corporate industrial military complex tech data trying to go to mars situation <laughs> destroying the environment situation <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i I think I think yeah, Vanessa, you, you're you're right, and I think you actually you have a you have quite a positive view of the internet overall, don't you? I think, uh, which is you know very which is very good, and 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 maybe counterbalances our our view a little bit. But I think what we are um, focusing on uh, to to uh, to some degree, at least in the book, is you know social media, particularly as 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 kind of you know as commercial platforms where where things are yeah that things are not right um and 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 it's and and i agree that there are kind of other spaces on the internet where we can people can upload their music or or their art or whatever that's 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 very important and that's also present but then it seems like how kind of users or subjects get together on the internet or, or interact with each other on the internet very often it's very very problematic and I think that was one starting point um, for us as well yeah what we wanted to do is basically um, we, we don't we don't want to to write a book that's um, pessimistic obviously because we think the the, the current uh, the current zeitgeist the current ideology functions in a way that you know you either have you either you know, you're either pessimistic, like you're either a doomer, like you, you know, technology is 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 really bad. You know, it's it's not it's not the way to go. It's like uh, you have to unplug or or everything. Just be completely pessimistic about about technology, or you you can become optimistic with one single correct way, which is the neoliberal way. You know, like startups are truly changing the world and making a lot of difference and and stuff like that, which is those seem to be our only option whether we either we hate technology or or we love technology in a capitalistic way but we want to we wanted to you know really we wanted to analyze where where these where these sentiments come from and whether there are alternatives and we believe there are alternatives but it's going to be it's going to be a, a a huge task because you know um, obviously the, the control of the can we don't want to um we don't want to what is it yeah we don't want to take like the 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 control that technology has in in our lives right now but at the same time we don't want to be completely pessimistic about it right there has to be a way to to have a you know to have an outlook to have a to have a sense that a revolution is possible and that's what we're trying to do with with our work yeah, no, because the yeah, the data mining is so out of control. And you're probably a little more pessimistic, Jacob, like you said, probably because you know more than I do about what's going on. <laughs> like yesterday, I was on a hike in the forest and I had my phone in my backpack. And then when I came back, of course, there was like an Instagram ad for like such a specific thing that I had mentioned that's like, I do not talk about this all the time. And it's like, wow, from my backpack, it heard me mention this when I was in the forest and it's showing me ads for it. And that's just like a small thing, but it's things that you notice all the time. And then it's like, what are all the things that are happening that I have no idea are happening with these things that I'm saying that it's hearing? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And, and this is something we kind of pick up in the, uh, or kind of kind of look at in the book actually in, in, in quite a bit of detail in the, in the first chapter, really starting in the first chapter where 
looking at this sort of complex of you know big tech and and how it's also kind of coupled now with AI uh, data analytics, all these sorts, sorts of things that there is this kind of ideology now in, in, in Silicon Valley and, 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 and beyond that, that, you know, through technology, uh, that, that technology is able to kind of know, you know, know our desires, know everything about us better than we, you know, than we could ever possibly uh, sort of sort of imagine and and then it's able to kind of you know things can follow on from that or you know as you say you know something can be recommended to you on on Instagram or whatever um, but there is a fundamental there is a flaw there as you know we think where um, of course there is a big difference there will always be a difference to how we are online or how we kind of present ourselves online and, and who we are as fully complex kind of, kind of human beings and and the question is whether you know those in silicon valley who make make all those or kind of create all those platforms whether they really you know believe that they can actually kind of know our desires that they that they can actually kind of that there is a complete alignment between who we are online and who we are sort of sort of beyond the internet as well and we kind of that's one um one way kind of how we look at this is through you know Lacan and, and through kind of ideas around misrecognition which is kind of quite central to 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 Lacan yeah yeah like they're, they're equating who we are with what we consume yeah there's there's this whole um you know, there's, there's this whole belief, pervasive belief everywhere, uh, primarily in Silicon Valley, but also everywhere that we are, you know, essentially we're, we're, we're data, you know, we can be fully represented by, by the data gathered about us. And I think um, there's, it's almost spiritual in a way, because, you know, you, you really have to believe in that if you want to believe that technology can do good, that technology, you know, the way to solve problems is just more, more, you know, better, algorithms and better AI and, and better, you know, better technology, essentially, to solve the problems created by uh, capital. Instead of the distribution of technology, there's a whole belief that the solution is just more technology in the, in the same capitalist framework, right? Which um, we think, I mean, we basically, the, the entire book talks about, talks about why that is, uh, that should not be the case and, and why that, um, that is a, that is a harmful approach to take, right? But there's almost, um, I said spiritual here because then, you know, you go on to talking about people talking about um, what consciousness is and, you know, transhumanism and uploading our consciousness to the web and, you know, making AI that is just conscious. This, this is whole fantasy landscape that's just even outside of Silicon Valley and in sci-fi and everything is just the ideal, uh, like the ideal, you know, person who can fulfill our desires are the ones that just can gather as much data about us as possible, right? I think that's there's a very strong, uh, a very strong belief in that in that sense that structures our fantasy in a way that's just really pushing. Um, you know, if you if you believe in that fantasy, then obviously the the solution is more technology, right? Is better better just give all of those uh, entrepreneurs more money because then then you know then they can solve 
racism or whatever by by creating more data points by extracting more data points and we think this is just you know relying on uh, the idea of private property right like you know um, who owns these data who owns the algorithms who who decide to to code those algorithms and who produces knowledge who produces all of these kinds of um not only not only data but like how the data is is gathered and how it is interpreted and and so on and we think um there's a there's a sheer lack of systemic um analysis in in all of in all of these and that's why we're that's why we're writing the book i mean obviously there's a lot of people who are already uh studying about this but we feel that uh by utilizing lacan by really analyzing uh these these uh technologies in a way that's not really technophobic in a way that's not really you know the solution is not to completely unplug or just you know uh do little local revolutions and just you know little local economies and stuff like that by really uh tackling these these larger issues and asking what the systemic nature of all of these uh all of these uh algorithms are and how we might better design technologies that are more um inclusive in a way in in a way not not only inclusive but also um very much uh marxist in a way that's just not focusing on the production of knowledge on the means of the production of knowledge being owned by several corporations but how we could really distribute this more 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 fairly in to the users right of course that's a very tall order but at least there should be a vision like there should be a possibility first in uh towards that direction yeah yeah and it's i think it's also um i mean looking at this from the side of kind of kind of big tech, uh, Silicon Valley and, and so on, as we as we do is, is um, that there's clearly kind of, you know, where we're clearly sort of uh, critiquing that. Um, and at the same time, we're also kind of looking at, or we're spending quite a bit of time looking at this from the perspective of the kind of user or ordinary users, where it's also very, um, it's very kind of reassuring or it's, it's potentially very, um, sort of containing in, in, in the psychoanalytic sense uh, for users that there are these platforms, that there are these kind of you know, fantasies about AI uh, and, and data and so on that, that can kind of hold uh, users in this kind of space and, and can sort of you know, give us everything we, uh, we, we desire. Um, uh, so, so, so that's, that's very, that, that that's very um yeah it's 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 very kind of reassuring um it's very sort of um beneficial but then of course it's always disappointed uh, because it doesn't work and and it's you know it's just it's it's just a fantasy it's just an ideology um uh, because we what we sort of also then sort of bring to these to these debates as as, as Bonnie said there are also other other scholars also kind of Lacanian thinkers who make sort of similar arguments, Jody Dean uh, being one of them, or uh, more recently, um, Matthew Flissfeder, he's also kind of, he's also made sort of arguments in relation to social media being, or kind of taking on the, the kind of status of, of, of the Lacanian big other and so on. Um, uh, but but, but what, we, what we are sort of then also bringing to these, to these debates, I think, is, um, looking at the kind of at the user as uh, at the subject kind of more more specifically and um 
for example, talking about something like selfies you know, or the selfie, where, where very often the selfie is kind of is sort of discussed in kind of popular media and so on as, you know, we are just all kind of narcissists now. It's, it's just an act of narcissism, uh, um, you know, that's, that's kind of amplified by, by, you know, Instagram and it's just, insta you know, it's just a kind of, kind of, um, uh, kind of superficial platform and things like that. But we are kind of saying, no, actually, you know, we need to, if we really want to look at the selfie, you know, in, in more kind of detail, it's actually um, a user who, or, or the subject who is very, very vulnerable and who is really kind of, you know, bearing all through, through, uh, through the selfie and um, wants to be kind of, you know, recognized. There is this kind of desire for, for recognition of wants to feel kind of, you know, valued and so on through uh, interactions online and through likes and, and, you know, comments and so on uh, uh, by other users on the internet as well. So it's not, not just kind of aimed at, 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 at the big other, um, um, but it's actually a, a very, very, you know, a very vulnerable sort of sort of act in in, in itself. Um, uh, that that kind of shows where you know this 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 kind of Silicon Valley mindset is so you know so perverse because it taps into this vulnerability, but then just kind of you know, exploits that and never never really delivers on on um, what is sort of being promised to to to, to all of us. And yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can completely, you know, obviously, because we, we wrote the book together, but um, as, a, as someone who posts uh, relatively a lot of selfies, I do very much agree because, you know, because that's, 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 that's what it is, right? That's the mode of, uh, of communication that we have. That's the mode of desiring that we have um, right now. And I think I, I would go, I would go, um, we did go one step further. Um, in the book, in which case, uh, we, in which we made we made the point that even um, leftist anger is often a commodity designed by the algorithm to create more engagement. Right? I think that's the that's the tricky part because it's trendy to be to be a communist on Twitter, for example. It's very trendy to be um, to create discourse, right? To be angry to you know to to pile on uh, some people for making bad takes. But um, that's that's the tricky part. We think that we are being critical, we are being revolutionary, and of course, uh, to a certain extent, we are by by um, by you know by creating these these uh, various discourse by hopefully exposing people to certain kinds of um, revolutionary thought. Of course, that that's there's a lot of good there, but at the same time, it's not a replacement for actual. For the actual work of building alternatives, right? Because a lot of people, um, they, you know, a lot of uh, communists, they just, you know, they they get angry on Twitter, and that's that is trendy. And again, no, no, you know, um, I'm not trying to, you know, trying to dismiss them completely. Obviously, if that's um, if that's the the level of en engagement that you are capable of. Uh, right now by, you know, spreading all of these discourse, then by all means, go ahead and do that. But if you start to assume these kinds of self-righteousness and then assume these kinds of um, conflict as your as your primary source of uh, jouissance, as primary source of uh, enjoyment by creating discourse, by creating conflict online, 
that's not serving anyone but the you know but the but the big other but the um in this case the very real corporations uh, behind those platforms because then you're just creating more engagement for them um by creating uh antagonism by creating pain by creating harm towards others and yeah that's that's the tricky part right even our uh what seems to be very critical discourse is actually you know it can be monetized very easily mm. by things that we don't by platforms that we don't see what we see obviously but we don't really think about them that much since they're they're in the background yeah and i don't think most people know or are thinking about how it, they actually work like you said because these algorithms they don't they're not well i'm sure they look at the content of what you're saying also to, to do things but as far as like the rage kind of factor they don't really know what side of you're on they're just like promoting things that get more attention and of course the people that do that they say something angry then they get a lot of likes then that promotes makes them promoted to do more to do more of yes. that because they're like oh i get a lot of attention when i do that because that's just like a natural human thing to do and it just goes on and on and maybe that's part of why it's so polarized of people arguing all the time because that's kind of what keeps getting like promoted and shared and rewarded mm -hmm. so when, when people talk about um i think the the crude uh, the crude understanding of uh, when when I say when I tell people, hey, I do I do psychoanalysis to uh, criticize online culture. Uh, usually, what people think is that you analyze what goes on behind uh, inside of people's minds before mm -hmm. they interact online, and then the online world is just something else, you know. So you analyze uh, what's what's in people's minds, but that's not the case at all. Because again, with with psychoanalysis, we know that the uh, you know the actual scene of the unconscious is very much structured in the online space itself algorithms isn't something you know it's not something okay so we have something and then we pour it out online and then algorithms do their right no um that scene that online is the other scene that, that freud talks about that's the unconscious that's you know so again our our unconscious is shaped by all of these new algorithms that you know that a handful of people are, are designing, uh, just really affected by AI and big data and all of these things. And a lot of the time we don't know, we don't realize that the source of our jouissance, even if that may seem revolutionary at the time, it's very much designed by, by these algorithms. And some people somewhere write code to change our behavior in ways that we might not fully understand. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the thing that needs most, uh, critical insight right now today mm. yeah 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 and and i think um earlier we were talking about um you know lacan and and, and sort of our our interests and, and and so on and and i think one other kind of major thinker who we really draw on in the book and this is this kind of worked well to talk about him now maybe a little bit is uh, um japanese um you know philosopher critic you know, cultural critic, uh, Hiroki Azuma, um, who wrote a book um, in the night, I think in the 90s, right? In the, the sort of late 90s, it came out. In late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, late 90s. Japanese, uh, about otaku and, and kind of otaku culture. So um, otaku being sort of the, the kind of, you know, Japanese term for, what we could call kind of you know geeks or, or, or kind of Nerd. hardcore fans um 
and and Azuma also he draws a little bit on kind of Lacan, Zizek, and psychoanalysis in in his book. But then he he also really kind of sort of uses his own concepts, his own thinking to to kind of um, um, come to terms how kind of you know Japanese culture society. Um, Brought about or kind of kind of led to this phenomenon of, of you know of otaku as a particular kind of kind of identity or kind of kind of subject formation, um, <clears throat> and not I mean we're not wanting to go into too much detail because we also talk about it in the book so people should read the book but um, um, Azuma kind of he he has this idea of. Of, of the kind of sort of of the database and 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 that uh, otaku how they sort of articulate their fandom of you know anime manga uh, particular characters particular um, shows or, or or content is is kind of shaped um, or kind of kind of brings about uh, a kind of kind of what he calls sort of logic of the of the database um, whereby um, how kind of particular sort of characters are kind of, you know, are sort of broken down, right? Broken down by fans, by otaku in specific sort of segments. Um, what kind of, you know, what sort of clothes they wear. And very often it's also, you know, kind of, yeah, female, female characters. And, and it's, it's sort of got its level of kind of sexism. Uh, sort of attached to, to that as well. What clothes they wear, what 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 you know hairstyle there is, and so on. It's kind of sort of broken down quite literally by otaku in um, creating their own kind of websites or kind of you know archives of um, sort of that that sort of content that that is you know that they can search or kind of you know where they can find particular you know characters and their kind of kind of features and and, and so on. Um, so that's kind of the sort of starting point for 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 Azuma to kind of um, come up with this sort of idea of the database, and we um, thought, you know, that that is so, you know, that was so kind of kind of innovative at at, at, at that time when when it when it first came out. That was so um, radical, so interesting. We wanted to really kind of draw on on his ideas. In order to kind of think about the contemporary kind of moment where we are sort of arguing this this sort of database logic is now um, inherent to the internet as a whole and to how all of us behave online we're all kind of sort of breaking things down into particular signifiers or, or um, um, you know um, content or how we relate to you know each other online is kind of all sort of uh, uh, happens through this kind of database sort of sort of uh, logic and, and through kind of this sort of way of consumption. We found we found a really interesting parallel between Azuma and Lacan's discourse of capitalism, which Azuma didn't really didn't really mention. But yeah, um, to get a bit technical here, um, you know, the the I'm sure you're familiar with the reversal of the arrows in in the discourse of capitalism, right? And then Azuma also talks about reversing. Um, he calls it reading up. So it's, you know, um, the arrows might be, might be a bit, uh, the orientation of the direction might be a bit different, but he, uh, both Lacan and Azuma uh, talks about how 
it's no longer ideology um, dictating us from either our, our unconscious or you know from above, but it's it's us actually taking things apart and shoving them into the this database into this this um, this master signifier, right? Uh, the that's that's the reversal of arrows both in Lakong and in Azuma, which we which we explored further in the book. But the the idea is that we are we're not just we're not just consuming things, but we are taking apart, uh, taking them apart, categorizing them, and collecting them into a collective database for others to recycle and reuse. And then the connectedness of the internet of the database uh, that really affects the way that we we relate to to the big other to the master signifier because it's no longer you know it's no longer obeying a master but it's constructing collectively constructing a master but at the same time you know the way that we construct the master is also determined by by the you know by algorithms outside of our own control so this the whole the whole loop in Lacan's uh, discourse of capitalism we 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 really explored on that and how that's uh, how how we could actually read the current uh, the current way of knowledge production and of algorithms and the way that people take their selfies and just you know put them online and create memes and just circulate them how that is all connected in this whole loop of capitalism and why it's it's becoming increasingly more difficult for us to create you know to even imagine alternatives to to digital capitalism. Well, I'm so glad you all are thinking about this because like you said, Matthew Fisplater um, and like okay. Isabel Miller, um, you know, doing AI and psychoanalysis. It's so important that you all are thinking about this because this industry has been yeah, dominated by people and so so combined by, like you said, these like four, four or five kind of corporations or people that are like all of this is getting funneled through they're creating like they like that small of a handful of people should that are all pretty much the same kind of person same person you know should not be able to influence this huge population you know it's like like such a huge population such a huge part of the world population is influenced by this and it's like going through the hands of like so few people and it's like really talk about monoculture it's really just like such a narrow view being spread everywhere and I feel like that's so dangerous and um yeah and 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 they're not psychoanalytically minded people that are thinking about human subjectivity you know at all um, well maybe they are you know that's maybe they are that's maybe maybe they are they are you know crudely uh you know maybe they 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 sort of know more about psychoanalysis than than, than any of us because otherwise how how could you know there be such a kind of complete fit between um you know how we sort of fundamentally how we are wired you know sort of hardwired as, as as subjects in a way and then how these platforms work you know there is some kind of very very perverse um very neat kind of kind of fit uh, that that seems to seems to work even though it's you know it's making um us very often kind of kind of miserable um i don't know yeah that's just a thought. <laughs> My view is that the that the society, the Western society model that this has kind of grown out of, everything's like science and objectivity and markets and capitalism and all of this. Um, is like it's like the obsessional mind frame, and like the obsessional mind frame has been turned into a society that we all are forced to live within, and then we just don't really have a choice. 
So, so like maybe it seems reflective because we've all grown up in this kind of mind frame, but really it's actually like one specific neurotic mind frame mm-hmm. that is kind of just taken over way more than any one mind frame should have. That's how I feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you all wanted to mention that we didn't get to? I don't want to talk about how your ideas about how to do something different because people should read your book. <laughs> what are the alternative ways? Read the book. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that comes uh, that comes yeah that that that's that's part of the book. I mean the the, the book is is you know it's um, it's it's a short you know it's 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 kind of short and um, you know very sort of accessible I think compared to you know. Uh, traditional kind of very long academic books. Um, I mean, one one thing that we maybe we haven't talked about so much yet that we, we place a heavy kind of emphasis on um, is connecting, you know, these kind of questions that we've talked about, not only to kind of, you know, politics and, and you know, the kind of sort of right-wing um, status or, or kind of, you know, right-wing sort of politics that are emerging everywhere in the world and on the internet, but also to kind of questions of sexuality. And, and I think, you know, again, that's where psychoanalysis is so important. And um, also, you know, that sort of dimension maybe hasn't been, hasn't been kind of considered so much yet, also by, by scholars. Uh, some, there are some exceptions, maybe, is that, you know, you mentioned Isabel Milar, who's kind of looking at AI and, and kind of questions of um, sexuality, but then this kind of link that we are making, that we were very keen to make, I think, um, also ha- hadn't been maybe made on, on, on that level yet. I don't know if you do, do you want to say something about that, Bobby? Um, yeah, no, I was, I was going to, I was going to, mention uh the idea of cuteness yeah because um, there yeah. that's also um the thing is that the thing the things that we we actually dedicated a whole a whole chapter of uh regarding cuteness uh and the theory of the you know the cute gaze right because um in a lot of um okay uh when things we 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 observe and of course we we read a lot of uh, literature that actually state cuteness comes from a time when the predominant emotion is defeat, because when people are victorious, the 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 desire for aesthetics is a lot a lot more uh, powerful and strong and just you know uh, masculine and stuff. And but, but then uh, the whole trauma of defeat, even in Japan, and that's why uh, that's partially why uh, it's it gets popular around the world because because there's no this aesthetics of beauty that's vulnerable but that's not exactly it because we we also following uh Sian Gai and a, a few other uh, a few other theorists uh cuteness the cute gaze is actively rendering the object as someone who is uh, as a, a person or a thing that is essentially powerless right we want to maintain this uh we want to maintain an emotion of uh, an air of vulnerability especially for the cute object and that's why that's why cuteness is is everywhere. It's it's the predominant form of attraction right now. You, we we don't really say, um, you know. Um, of course, we, we still say that people are beautiful or or hot or whatever. But the the most frequent term is you know, 
someone is cute, right? Or a thing is cute or a person or an animal is cute because there's a whole sense of, um, of powerlessness there. And of course, um, this, can be, uh, this can be taken in a way that's perverse. As we wrote quite a, quite a bit in our book, um, we understand, we can understand cuteness as trying to maintain this, uh, this power imbalance that really preserves this kind of um, powerless vulnerability, but also a kind of safe, safe status quo, so to speak. But on the other hand, it can also really, we can take it in a way that's just, uh, we see something as cute and we, we reflect back on ourselves in that, in a way that's just, can we take care of this cute object? For example, the way that we see cute, the way that a baby is cute or, or a small animal is cute, right? Because there's this whole, uh, either we see a cute object by maintaining the, the, the distance, the powerlessness, or we see a cute object in the sense that we acknowledge the vulnerability and our own vulnerability and we build solidarity through it. So that's, that's, the, that's the kind of thing that we have to, um, we feel that we have to really grasp and delineate, like how do we see things that are even, you know, things that are frivolous, things that are very, um, an everyday emotion and an everyday, things such as you know cute selfies or cute memes or stuff like that like where do these uh, aesthetics come from where do these uh, why do we tend to see um what is desirable in a certain light why is it cuteness why is it not like i don't know like a powerful beauty in 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 some other sense in other parts of uh time and culture for example why do these things appear and again we we kind of relate uh related that to the logic of the database where we we quote unquote mutilate some you know an object in a way that we really dismantle the elements of that object and we collect uh, those objects and we make other things cute we tend to want to render uh, other people that are safe as cute because we want to we want to preserve this kind of uh, vulnerability but then again it's a it's a very once you dig into it like cuteness or the cute case can be a very, very complex emotion tied to the trauma of defeat, tied to the failure of masculinity, even tied to um, post-war trauma in Japan. Like there's a lot of cultural context in which, uh, you know, why some, some things, some notions of beauty, some notions of desirability appear as opposed to others. And we think that's really tied to the way uh, sexuality is constructed online today and the way that our behavior is constructed online, uh, designed online, serve certain purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to add to that, also um, that, you know, the, these, we, we kind of talk of, uh, quite a bit about that in the book as well, how the interfaces that we're using, you know, how the very kind of design of something like Tinder or, or you know, social media or, um, you know, Instagram filters or, or memes or whatever, it's all um, cute. Uh, uh, it's all about kind of you know funny, uh, cute kind of you know uh, emojis and hearts and, and and things like that and, and filters and and it's it's cuteness is so uh, uh, important there to kind of to kind of sort of take that into account in in in, in analysis uh, that that that's what really kind of kind of motivated us to to kind of write about that and also. Um, to 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 by kind of linking it uh, to um, 
sort of the kind of cultural history of cuteness in the you know in the Japanese context and also a little bit in the kind of K-pop Korean context as well that you know has kind of um, has had such an influence uh, uh, across the world really uh, not just when it comes to you know design uh, on you know, social media design or kind of kind of the design of the internet and, and interfaces and so on but as a kind of general sort of sort of um, symptom you know as, as, as a kind of a contemporary symptom that we that we need to kind of that we need to kind of interrogate uh, yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense again that's why I'm so glad you all are thinking about these things <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to mention do you have anything coming up or anytime you ever have anything new that you want to talk about you know you're always welcome to contact me like you did and let me know and you can come on the podcast to talk about it thank you um i mean we're kind of working on that we're working on on kind of thinking about sort of what you know what sort of follows from from this book when when i mean the book is going to be published in january so it's it's coming out in, in january um and then we're kind of thinking about what sort of you know what follows from some of our discussions in, in, in the book, particularly as we move towards the end of the book. So we're kind of we we're kind of we're kind of thinking about those um, those questions that maybe remain um, in need of further uh, further kind of analysis. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, we finished writing that in like. Um maybe around, no, actually earlier earlier than this month, last year, I think. Um, I kind of forgot when, when exactly we, we kind of finished it, uh, Jacob. But yeah, um, since that time and even up to the time of the publishing, it's just a lot of, the, a lot of new things because that's, that's the thing with writing a book about the internet, right? Because new things were up and, but yeah, so we do feel that this is a very, um, dynamic sort of uh, sort of feel to analyze and obviously there there are new new things and the new new evolutions of, of of things that we you know new developments of things that we that we wrote in the book so I think uh, it's it's also very crucial to always be on the lookout I mean obviously we I I I do believe that a lot of the things that all of the things that we, we that we right in the book, like the whole framework still stands and will still continue to stand, but the, the practical examples and the practical, um, how people might uh, might react to certain uh, certain developments, like certain new technological developments, those things will, will always keep evolving, right? And I think theory needs to continue to also evolve and adapt and to find new ways of uh, liberation, find new ways of liberatory potentials of these, of these things, of, of the, gaps between technology and, and desire and how people see and utilize those technologies and how people uh, see themselves and construct their own identities through through these kinds of technology. So yeah, um, we are we are um, we are thinking of what what can be a follow-up to this. Um, but also but also um, we, we mentioned that it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty thin book. It's not it's not a very thick um, book because because it's 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 like it's like this but this is because we had to cut about 50 percent of mm. the whole of the of the actual manuscript because it had it had a lot of um 
case studies and examples and like really theoretical details that didn't make it into the book. Um, we are, uh, we have begun to, um, to put them up online as so people can read them freely. I mean, we haven't been, uh, I haven't been diligent enough to actually continue uh, the plan with the, with the articles, but uh, it should be coming up, right? So people, if people want to get a taste of the book, like what can they actually, you know, if they want to, not, uh, yeah, I, I won't say, I won't say it's, it's like free chapters, but because it's, it's not inside the book, but the supplemental materials, like if one, people want to get a feel of what, what, might, what they might encounter in the book, they can also uh, visit our Medium blog. Um, apparently we're still blogging, if, if you can call that blogging, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And I'm seeing Rendering Unconscious is also a book. I've um I it came out in 2019, but mm -hmm. uh the original edition is almost sold out. There's literally like two left. So I'm gonna um oh. make an expanded paperback edition. So if you have okay. like a little snippet or an essay or something that you would want to put in the book, let me know. Just send it over and I'll include it. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. That's really fun. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we had we had fun talking about yeah. this. I mean, it's all Thank you. Talk, talk about our book, right? <laughs> exactly. And I think what you brought up too at the end is also as the internet being a sort of mirror and people developing their identity in the, in a way through the internet. I think that's really important as well because that like that's with like the cons mirror stage and like looking at the mirror and seeing yourself and then kind of internalizing that and that being an ongoing process and people do that through relations with other people. But now we can do that online as well. And um, I think that's another aspect of of the internet that's really valuable. Mm. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Bonnie Rambatan and Jacob Johansson. Definitely check out their book, Event Horizon, Sexuality, Politics, Online Culture, and the Limits of Capitalism, from Zero Books, January 2022. And follow them at Twitter. You can follow Bonnie at Bonnibel underscore R at Twitter. That's B-O-N-N-I-B-E-L underscore R at Twitter. And you can follow Jacob at Jacob PhD at Twitter. That's J-A-C-O-B underscore PhD at Twitter. You can also check out my previous discussion with Jacob Johansson, Rendering Unconscious podcast episode number 23. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R A W. S-I-N underscore. And now, to be back with you, a collaboration I did with Val Denham, set to music and arranged by Carl Abrahamson, 
on the album Message 23, available at Highbrow Low Life's Bandcamp page. That's highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. Music is also streaming on online platforms such as Spotify and iTunes. Enjoy. Like a bullet from a gun in the setting sun, I'm looking for the day when kingdom comes. Cause looking at tomorrow and when an end to all the sorrow, no more famine, greed or war, and the ending of the source, all the people are the same, let us try to use our brain, do not perpetrate the pain, let us exercise the same when all troubles have been done, and the war is almost won, no more blood will have to run, like smoke, smoke from a gun, yo, smoke, smoke from a gun. Have dared to traverse expansion oh, done on a weekday. Time. No rustic projector would burn its tiny Your blue own. sun across dark and smoke-filled lines. Then the fall of that the virgin white expanse of the two-dimensional prairie. Usually, black and white old movies would spring back to life after slumbering in corroding tears, often for years. What this I don't was the magic of the lost film, such relics as the triple Sometimes X, you say Andy Warhol's flesh, the red shoes, a Pandora's box, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and vileness facts would spring to life once more before the film began and the screen would be painted in fresh beeswax for the purpose of catching any stray screen spirits. So Once a Judy Garland type entity was caught like an antigen, placed in the appropriate refrigeration unit until it grew to the size of a healthy sunflower. And oh my, how good it looked. All silver pink worms and cracks with spikes of royal amethyst spilling out of its many tiny orifices, just like it should have been, just like in olden times. And singing too, singing songs such as... Somewhere so over the cyclotron contained a small and then out all those days a ritual beeswax screen strategies. Sometimes the good Queen Whirlpool would show the movies sideways what can I say just so that we could see you? both sides of the coin at the same time. Or project the film backwards so that by the time we'd get to We're the beginning of the film, of we were slightly younger in our outlooks. To be back Those are much more fun when it's sunny. To be back outside. With you. God knows why, but it's true. Of course, it's often a much better idea to use your own sound, soundtrack and just turn the sound down on the film and see whatever happens Art in the film will seem to synchronize with your alternative new soundtrack. Ingratitude. On weekends, good Queen Whirlpool would boost until all the blue flower small. shrubs in the vicinity would begin to but wilt and Sleepy drifters would sliver past on classical what instruments, teaching cellos, moaning like jealous black whales in transit from one shanty town to the next. Violins what would cut your transmitters like wine through your guts. And bass drums beat like the hearts of the depressed in the deep south of America. Good Queen Whirlpool 
never spoke of our place in the universe on these occasions without focus. For these were the Pinot Noir days, or the hours of the Spanish moon. Hangovers were placed in obelisks, and obelisks were placed in aircraft hangers. For she knew that all the pyramids are really launch pads to Orion, and that they are a mirror of constellations in the pit of black sky. The obelisks only obelisks only mirror mirror us and our excesses either in films or blues or in our dream life. Columns of glass water rise. Thank you.